Welcome to Growing Through Tragedy, Experiencing Life's Challenges from an Empowered Perspective. This is Leon Morton. Between stimulus and response, there is a space, and in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. That quote by Viktor Frankl, the Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist Holocaust survivor. Today on this Belief Hack Brainery podcast, we're going to share an incredible conversation with you with an amazing man. And I just want to set the frame before we introduce him and get into the podcast. First off, we're distancing, social distancing, as we are in the midst of this COVID-19 lockdown. So the actual recording of the podcast is going to have a little bit of variance in the audio. Just please forgive that. Uh, It does not affect the content or the the coolness of this conversation and discussion, but just wanted to address that. And I want to set the tone. This this man that we're going to be interviewing is a friend of mine, and he ended up being uh, drafted in the NFL back in 1989 as the number two overall draft pick, and that was as an offensive lineman. And he shares a story of basically crashing and burning and then redemption and the power of that journey for him in life and it is a story of growing through a tragedy and so here's the first uh the first thing you got to think about the guy that was drafted before him that year was hall of famer troy aikman the very second pick was this friend of mine the next guy after him was the amazing barry sanders arguably the best running back of all time also hall of fame The guy after him was Derek Thomas, Hall of Fame linebacker on defensive end. And then the following guy after him, so the first five, was the incredible Deion Sanders, also Hall of Fame player. So this guy stood as a mountain to draft at the second position in that year's draft as an offensive lineman. I don't think it had ever been done in that time before. But here's the takeaways to listen for today as we share Tony's story with you. One of the first belief hack takeaways is authentic humility and transparency and how imperative that is for our personal growth, development, and overall psyche and well-being. So listen for that. The next takeaway I found in this conversation was an innate skill or mindset that enjoying the journey is the goal. The end game outcome is good and to be acknowledged, though the moment to moment awareness, joy, passion, sweat, and tears are where the living is at. Takeaway three for the belief hack takeaway three from this interview and conversation is at 11 years old, this guy decided and made a decision which actually means, if you break those two words down, D and decision, it means to cut off. He made a decision, and then, which is just astounding as an 11-year-old, he wrote it down. And one of the best quotes out of the interview, if I don't have a plan, I'll get there fast, which is nowhere. The next takeaway, with that commitment and that decision, he then committed to himself that from that point forward he would calibrate all of his activities and basically ask himself a question whether it was a major decision or a small minor detail 
And that question was, is this getting me closer to my goal? And then he would act accordingly. The next belief hack takeaway to listen for is sacrifice. And he discusses how that sacrifice needs to be looked at, not only from you, but also for those that you love around you that your commitment is going to affect. The next belief hack takeaway is taking ownership, stepping above being the victim, and through internal contemplation, taking a personal inventory, assessing and then calibrating the results that you're getting. And if they're not congruent with your compelling vision, then you need to change your actions and beliefs to move towards that desire. We already discussed authentic and vulnerable, but he says something that's really powerful. When he's discussing this about his now clients that he works with, and he says, when we are authentic and vulnerable, that's when the best view of us comes out. And then the last tidbit from this Belief Hack podcast is leadership reflects the group, whether it's an organization or even when it comes to a country and or a culture. So with that, we're going to get right into the podcast. And I am so pleased to have my friend on the show. And I give you Tony Mandridge. Welcome to the Belief Hack Brainery and Growing Through Tragedy podcast. I am so pleased and excited to welcome a, a man that now has become a friend and who I used to look up to and idolize, even though we would have been technically close to the same age. I think I got him by a couple of months, technically, but we're, we're in the same year and, and we were in the same town and didn't even know it. I actually bumped into this character and he was a character uh, numerous times at the gym in East Lansing, Michigan. And this is when the great Tony Mandrich was literally the highest sought out offensive lineman in the country and some think probably one of the best offensive linemen at the collegiate level ever. And Tony moved on and moved into the NFL and we're going to share some of his story of struggle and challenge and overcoming and and belief and and how his mind worked through the process of becoming who Tony was then and also who he has become now. And welcome Tony Mandrich. Jay, thanks for having me buddy. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to see you and also hear from you. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Tony, I don't, you know, I know we've spoke, but back when I had, I played ball at a little school outside of Lansing, Michigan called Olivet College. Mm -hmm. I remember running into you at the powerhouse gym in East Lansing where old Bill used to own that place and watching you come in with your bandanas and troop of a couple guys and just taking ownership of that place. It was pretty amazing. I'm pleased to have you on the show and hopefully we're going to be able to share some really empowering things with our listeners about what your journey looked like and how you have come to be where you are and overcome. And with that, I'll just start with the first, the first question. You were that, you were that guy, like on the cover of sports illustrated. And so at a time in your life, when all that was going on, one thing that we like to talk about on this podcast is what our beliefs and our perceptions do at every stage of our journey in regards to how holding on to those beliefs creates for us what we really feel our reality is. And so there you are, you're, you're going to be 
potentially the number one draft pick ended up being number two, I believe. Mm-hmm. The number two draft pick overall as a lineman. I think that was unheard of at the time. And can you just share with us what that mental journey looked like to get to that place and then to go to the Packers and be there for four seasons and then you're out? Like, what did that journey look like? It, it, um, you ever see a roller coaster? Yeah, that's what what it looked like. (laughs) And that's almost not even metaphorically. That's literally what it looked like. So, you know, one of the things I found out about myself throughout this journey, even, you know, up to this day, I still, it gets confirmed to me even up till today. Um, But back then, I enjoy the process much more than the destination. I enjoy the process of getting there like 10 times more than the actual end game. I, I stop and I appreciate the end game and I acknowledge it. And then I'm like, you know, what's next? Like what's next on the plate? What's next? What do I want to do next? So, you know, going way back and, I, and I'll run through it extremely quickly is, at 11 years old, I'm in Canada, and I'm like, I made a decision at 11 that I was going to play in the NFL. And I knew that there were, I mean, obviously, you had, there were steps to take. You had to have a plan. So I literally grabbed a pencil and a piece of paper and started writing stuff down, like working out, running, all this stuff. But, you know, at 11, I was also smart enough to know that I was still growing. So it's not like I should be bench pressing and stuff. But I, you can still do chin-ups, push-ups, sure. all the plyometric stuff. and and play sports like soccer and, and, and all these other things. So I always ask myself the question from 11 on, and this is like more with medium to major things in my life, was is this thing over here going to help me and propel me to get to my end game of the NFL? Or is this going to become, or is this already a distraction? So I got very, you know, even at a young age, tunnel visioned and very focused. You know, it's almost like having like a racehorse having the blinders on, right? It's like, do what's in front of you and have a plan. That's frankly incredible. At at 11, to be that cognizant of understanding how you needed to hone your focus, right? Because hone your focus and attention, that's, that's pretty phenomenal. Did that come from your parents or where did... Where did you know, I think, I think it did. I think it really did. You know, where, you know, the act of putting it on paper came from, I probably school. I have no idea. Like, because it, it wasn't like they did that. But they were immigrants from, you know, former Yugoslavia, um, which was communist. Right. You know, you hear stories about running from, um, like air air raid sirens going on during World War II because the Allied forces are coming to bomb Yugoslavia because they're communist and partnered with Hitler. Right. Right. And and you know, my mom and dad were like trying to escape out of communism so they have a better life for themselves and for their kids and their family. Wow. So I think that all of that comes from hearing all those stories. When your mom tells you, think about this, a girl, a third grade girl. Your mom comes into class, pulls you out of class, and gives you a wooden staff to go up into the mountains and take care of the sheep to keep the wolves away from them. And you're like, yeah, okay, it's business as usual. 
Can yeah. you ima- I mean, can you imagine doing that today to a third grader, a girl, third grader? It's just, it's just, it was different times. So we have to take that into consideration. Sure. It was, it was different times, but those stories are the roots. Those stories are the foundation. And those stories are like, to me, like the legacy, you know, just, I think just sharing those stories carries that legacy for, of, you know, me carrying the legacy of my mom and my dad and what they did and what they've gone through. Now that I used to think was an uncommon story. That's a common story. There's a lot of immigrants that have done this. And, and, you know, now it's a lot more from the Asian countries and, 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 and certain areas of the world. But back then it was more Europe. Right. Okay. So it's just different times. But I think all that focus and all that stuff that, and all those stories I heard were like, yeah, if, if you want something, you really need to, you know, get a plan, you know, write it. You know, I, I was kind of like, write it down so I know where I'm going. Because if I don't have a plan, I'll get there fast. Nowhere, right? <laughs> You'll get nowhere. Yeah, exactly. I'll get nowhere fast. Yeah, I just kind of wrote a plan, and and that plan constantly changed because sometimes things evolved quicker, sometimes not as quickly. So you had to adjust what was going on, and then if it wasn't working, why wasn't it working? Right. So, I mean, I was I was already gathering analytics, right? Like, why is it not working? What am I doing wrong? That's incredible. I mean, and yeah, you said it's something very key. It's just business as usual. I think that's way different for today. You look at some of the ways I think about when my kids were growing up and the things I tried to instill in them. It's a rare breed that recognizes, especially at a young age like you were, that recognizes this is what I'm doing. And now this is the process I have to take to go there. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sacrifice that comes with that. Uh, a lot of sacrifice and, and, and sacrifice in relationships, uh, whether it's with uh, friends, whether it's family, whether it's whatever, um, everybody has their own experience for me, my, one of my biggest flaws, I would say even, you know, I've been sober now 25 years. One of my biggest flaws and I don't do it anymore is I expected out of my kids what I expected out of myself to put those kind of expectations and demands on somebody, especially if they're girls. And, and I didn't like literally come out and say those things like that. Like I just said them to you, but I acted that way. And I was like, well, look, if you want to be the best, you have to sacrifice these things. Like you have to do these things and sacrifice time and, and, but if you really want to do it, are you really sacrificing because you're doing what you love? That's a great question. And that really has hurt my relationship with my girl. That's, that's very interesting. The perception, yeah. the perception that they would receive from you based on those ex- expectations, yeah. even if they're unsaid, <laughs> yes. they, pick, they pick up on that. And they're, they're very, you know, intuitive and they're very smart and they can feel just like anybody tension in a room or. Sure. You know, and I never, and, and this is, and this is coming from me and I'm telling you, I never forced them into anything as far as like sport or if you want to play sports, do it. I'll, I'll support you. If you want to, you know, do career or something else, like I don't care what it is. Medical doesn't matter what it is. Do it. I'll support you all the way. I'll do whatever I can with the knowledge I have with whatever you're doing. And I may have none. 
Right. And and but I I may have access to tutors or or mentors for you. But at the end of the day, the fundamentals are the same. You know, I would just lose track of time. And that's how I knew I was doing what I was supposed to do. I would lose track of time in, in, in the process of doing stuff and be like, I just realized, you know, I spent four hours, you know, on the field doing drills. Now that wasn't four hours of every minute doing drills, you know, there'd be breaks and stuff, but it, it'd be like, okay, well, how long have we been here? An hour and a half. And you look and it's like, no, it's like four hours. And this is like, you're like 14 years old. That's absolutely incredible. So innately, you were able to build the skill set based on, so in, in uh, performance psychology, we call that flow, right? And when you're in flow, yeah. you're literally almost like you're not in the real realm of time. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about it in spaces where I'm on the stage playing music. And if I'm on a stage and a group of people is very engaged in what I'm doing, I can easily get into my music. Mm -hmm. I never think about my bills. <laughs> like I don't think about my struggles. I'm not thinking about my trouble in that time frame. It's a mindfulness approach almost. It's totally consumed in what it is that you're focused on. Yeah. If I'm going to do something that I love doing and take the risk and take all this time to do it, wouldn't the question I would ask myself is, wouldn't you want to be the best? Yeah. Like, or would you want to wake up and say, I want to be second best? Yeah. Or I just want to be average. I did okay. Yeah. Right. And it's like, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not, it's wrong with, it's wrong for me. Like I can't live with myself thinking that way. And I don't care if people call it, that's the way you're wired. People can call it you're obsessed. Yeah. I think yeah. you have to be a certain obsessed to a certain degree um, to have, you know, to achieve or to be something extraordinary. I think you have to be excessive in something. The thing you got to look for, and it's a red flag, is the un it doesn't make your life unmanageable. And that's where now, at 53, I kind of recognized a lot of things that were detriments, even in sobriety, like, you know, the expectations of my kids. And, you know, my motivation and everything was in the right place. And it was in their best interest. It was to support them in any way I can. Sure. But it didn't come across that way. It's very interesting to hear the same story from a different set of eyes or hear from you know, a different set of ears. It's because it's, uh, I'm like, are we talking about the same story? Right. <laughs> that's that's like know, relationship in general. I don't think I was there, right? And it's no, like no. <laughs> that's that's kind of like where I kind of then get mad at myself for letting myself go to a gray area. Yeah, or not, or not having the just the awareness, right? Because yeah. of, because of your intention and your specific laser focus, it's so easy to miss, right? what the other person might be perceiving out of that interaction. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. So you touch on something that's key there and you're talking about uh, passion and, and getting into flow and the drive of doing it. And that, and, but you said that for you, the journey was far more than the end result. Now I have to believe being a finalist for the Outland trophy, that's like, that is the pinnacle for alignment. That's like the Heisman, right? I mean, that is the shit yeah. for, for alignment in the NCAA at the highest level, Division I football, that's it. Yes. 
if I'm hearing you correctly, then you enjoyed the idea of what you created in your plan. You enjoyed the process of that plan even more so than getting to the potential of winning that award. You didn't, I don't know that it was ultimately you won that award, but as a top three finalist, that would be like in most people's game, I I'm there. Right. And if I'm hearing you correctly for you. It's more like I wanted to get here. Right. <laughs> like the getting there was the. It's a benchmark. Interesting. It's for, and, and, you know, I finished second in it. Uh, Tracy Rocker from Auburn won it as a defensive tackle, great defensive tackle. I think he played one year, maybe two years in the league. You know, I was the second player taken in the draft. He was the 176th player taken in the draft. Wow. Not that I'm saying that there's political things involved in voting, but let's call a spade a spade also. Sure. I would definitely have to say that there was some tarnishing of steroid rumors that didn't help my voting. Yeah, and I was wanting to touch on that if you're open to do that. Yeah. Um, I know that that was a big thing. And I remember as I was watching it all play out and being in the gym and watching you, you're just a animal in the gym. I'm like, and, and, and I think anybody at this stage recognizes you just don't get that big unless you're doing some kind of right. self-limitation. It's just impossible. Right. Like, and working your ass off and eating yeah. nonstop and all of the things that it takes, yeah. right? So that i'm glad you brought that up because i was going to ask you that was probably a not a that wasn't that like the beginning of of a downslide for you the 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 the, the, steroid, the, the, the steroid accusations and all of this did that affect you when your first four years with the packers i mean what what was the deal there the, st the steroids um there are the steroid, like everybody knows, I shouldn't say everybody knows, there, there are people that know, and then there are people, the majority that assume, and they do assume correctly on a lot of things, that if you take steroids, you're going to get bigger if, if you work out. It's true, okay? Um, but boy, do you have to work out, right. and you, you have to eat right, and you have to get sleep, and you have to do all these things. Now, not a magic pill. No, it's not a magic bullet, right? It's not the, it's, it's the, it's, it's a spoke in the wheel that I chose to do that the rules said don't do. Right. Right. So again, I'll call a spade a spade. I broke the rules and I knew I was breaking the rules, but I wanted to be the best. And I was like, this is one of the spokes in the wheel. And, and I had that reckless abandon of, I really don't give an F. You know, it's like, I'm going to, if I'm going to make a mistake, I'm going to do it at full speed. It's like the athletes that want to get the gold medal and they're like, I don't give a shit what it takes. I'm getting the gold medal, period. Right. So let me ask you this then. So then you get to the league and you're drafted to the Packers. Go Pack. I was right. That's right. I've been a converted cheesehead, <laughs> even though I used to work with the Lions. Right. I find that to be really like almost <laughs> blasphemous. If right. Know. But you can't not go to a Packers game at Lambeau and not walk out of there being a fan. I mean, right. the, culture, the culture of the Packers is phenomenal. It's iconic. So you get to – yeah, iconic. You get to the Packers, and did they start testing you more than anybody else right out of the gate? Or what, what, no, was there did. anything where that's, that laid off, and do you think that affected the short well, I, run? I, I mean, uh, four years in the league is not a short run. I mean, that's awesome yeah. to be there for one year. But you know right. what I'm saying. Yeah. It, 
you know, I knew steroids well enough. I knew, I knew what they did. I knew what they didn't do. I knew I'd been on them and then I'd been off them many times over those, that five-year period. And I'm talking like on for 12 weeks, off for 12 weeks, or on for 16, off for 16, which is four months, right? Wow, yeah. So, and I got, so you get to learn a lot. What's what, you know, what gets out of your system quicker in case you get drug tested, all these things. I mean, it was just self-education. And, you know, I had a, a guy that really knew his stuff uh, as far as the chemicals go. And, uh, you know, just picked his brain and, and you know, used it for you know, like kind of information and guidance. And, you know, the theory was, his theory was, which I believe was the correct theory because it's what's being done today, is real small doses with multiple steroids or multiple of the steroids, but really small doses. Interesting. Where I was like, you know, before I known this guy, it was I was like, you know, one or two different steroids and just a lot of it. And just <laughs> yeah, because more is better, right? right. Not necessarily. <laughs> Not necessarily. Not at so, a biological cellular level, yeah. for sure, right? So you know, I cheated on a couple of drug tests in college um, at bowl games, but th- their testing methods were like kindergarten. Yeah. I mean, they were so like elementary. I think knowing going into the NFL that they were much more sophisticated with blood work and urine. So I just kind of, and, and there was already the rumors and the stigma of that use. So I was like, I'm just going to get off of them and stay off of them. And I knew that I would probably go down t- anywhere from 10 to 20% in strength. What about your size? Did you drop a lot of size? Well, I ended up dropping a lot of size, but for a different reason. But that, that was part of it. Because I had gone on the steroids and off the steroids over five years. So I would lose about 10 to 20% because you still work out hard when you're not taking them. Sure. The thing that got me was when I was like, I'm done with the steroids, I immediately, and this is what separates someone who's a hard drinker or a hard drug user from a, a addict. Because I, I know a lot of people that drink hard and party hard, but they're not alcoholics, you know? And I know people that drink socially that are not alcoholics. And, and, but an alcoholic can't stop. Right. You just can't stop. It's like you're always obsessing about it. Same with the drug addiction. Same with the pill. Whether, it's, whether you're shooting, whether you're swallowing a pill, whether you're snorting something, doesn't matter what it is. If you're obsessing over it, you're an addict. Yeah. That's just the way it is. And, and uh, I immediately replaced steroids with painkillers knowing that painkillers aren't going to get me stronger, but I just like the, the euphoric feeling of the opiate. Right. And everybody was kind of like, Oh my God, look at he's shrinking from the steroids and he's not taking them anymore. And that was about 10%, 15, 20% true. But if you're benching almost 600 pounds and you lose 10% or 15%, you're still pretty strong. Yeah, you're still a beast. Right. right? So you're still, uh, you know, you're still going to be able to play. And I was, um, and, and I had replaced it almost in a 24-hour period with painkillers, and I started drinking uh, because of the fear of it all. The fear of it, and that's where the psychological effect of steroids are 10 times stronger than the physical effect. 
And you know how good the physical effect is. The psychological effect is 10 times stronger to your advantage or to your detriment. Or your disadvantage, yes. Yeah. I've seen yeah. guys come off, come off cycles and then get into this place of, well, I just lost 10 pounds. Yeah, but you had gained 10. <laughs> you gained 20, so you lost 10. You're still in a gain position, but psychologically they're they're like backwards, you know, and it's right. that's an interesting thing. Yeah. So so you actually so drugs became the issue for yes. you? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Drugs and uh, uh drugs and you know alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. Drugs. It was mainly though prescription painkillers or anything that was you know more on the mind-altering side of of um prescriptions like and i was much more on the chill out side than the speed side which is funny because that was the total opposite of me in college right yeah, and ultimately that would be the opposite of what people would assume if you're in the league because you got to be go time all the time right so exactly and they were all focused on the steroids they were like he's getting small and they were they had no way and i was like that's fine let him focus on the steroids and all these allegations because that takes the attention off of all of these different pharmacies i'm going to well there's a guy in the league right now that did actually really well this last year for the raiders and he had a He's come out with his substance abuse issues. Waller. Yes, Darren. He's done a hell of a job. And so yeah. so you've hit tragedy then on a couple of levels, it sounds like, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I so, believe if you haven't, you, you're living a sheltered life. You're not living, yes. <laughs> and I believe that, too. because you're life, not taking chances. Life happens, and yeah. if you're not out there living, then yeah. yes. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. This will lead us right into the second question then. So <laughs> if you could jump in a DeLorean and, and travel time and go back to that 18-year-old Tony, knowing that you are all about the journey was more satisfactory to you than potentially the outcome, mm -hmm. whether good or bad, right. what would you tell that guy? Oh, man. That's a, well, I mean, there's I, I, I would... I would tell him something he didn't know for sure that he had no idea of. And that was that there are going to be some hard lessons to learn. Um, and there's going to be some difficulties to overcome. Um, but I was like, but nothing to the, what at that time I would have even considered insurmountable things to overcome. Um, I, I think maybe I would have even then said, if that's what I got to go through, then I'm not going to do it. Really? Maybe. Mm. I would have contemplated. I think just the fact that I would have contemplated it gives me an answer. So you would have, you would basically, in that scenario, you're saying, I would, there's going to be things you're going to learn, but there's always things you're going to learn anyways, right, in life. So right. nothing specific, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, uh, nothing specific that you would say, hey, maybe, maybe pay attention to this. Well, you know, I, I, I did pay attention to all the details. Yeah. And you know, it's a subtle, it's such a subtle cunning thing and it creeps up on you if you're not careful. And uh, it, it comes down to what's the motivation behind it, right? So my motive, you know, I felt my motivation when I did the steroids, my motivation was to become the best football player that I could possibly be. And and then along with that came, and I didn't say this out very often, like I hardly ever said this, um, 
to the media or to people was, I want to be the best football player in the country. My roommate knew, but I wouldn't say that to the media. So when Sports Illustrated put that on the cover, that was their saying. Interesting. So that wasn't mine. But then my one of my steps off the cliff was when they put that on SI, I started to believe it. Your hubris started to kick in. All in caps. <laughs> All in caps. <laughs> wow. So now, <laughs> so that's an influenced hubris. You know that I had that experience. Nothing like yours, but I remember when but I know it. But it is. It's probably exactly like mine. Well, it's I, just a different circumstance. Yeah, different environment, different situation. I remember when I had started these chain of stores. I was the first guy to do the dollar a minute chair massage, mm-hmm. and back when that idea hit the scene come to find out there was another cat out of chicago who also started a company mine was stress busters of america his was great american back rub and it was funny how we both simultaneously started this right next thing you know i'm in all the malls down in detroit and i get my contract to work with the lions and i do all these things and now i've got this company with 40 employees all massage therapists who are definitely interesting in their thinking processes yes. so you know like herding cats legitimately and on tv and wow look at this cool concept and i bought into the bullshit too i i mean the hubris kind of takes you over and then to your detriment because you see where your ego and pride just gets in the way and And that experience that you have you just described is that feeling that you had and then that downfall that you had and the feeling of shame, remorse, guilt, all that shit is no different. It's the exact same feeling I had. It's just different circumstance. So it doesn't make mine bigger or grander. It's just that mine happened to be one of those things. Yeah, that's it. That was the, that's the only difference. That's like, that's why it's like your pain was no lesser than mine. It was no greater than mine, but it was the same shitty pain. And it can be for everybody that allows hubris to get in the way. Everybody qualifies. Yeah, everybody's in the same It doesn't discriminate. That's so good. So you got clean, and then you decided to give it another run, right? So you went back into the league and got back in with the Colts. What was the process? What was the key factor for you to make another run at it? Well, you know, March 23rd, 1995, I walked into a treatment center in Detroit, Brighton, into, in Brighton, Brighton, Michigan, which is right by Detroit. Yep. Um, I was just so sick and tired of myself. <laughs> I had had it up to here with me. Um, I'd already been out of the league for three years um, with, from the Packers and got sober um, in the treatment center and had no idea that there would be a maintenance program like a 12-step program to follow like i I was like i was so naive i was like i'm gonna come here get my stuff straightened out like you know and then just not do it anymore and they're they're (laughs) like they're like that's good but there has to be a maintenance program like on on staying sober and it you know i was it was overwhelming and I was like, well, I have to do this the rest of my life. And they're like, no, you just got to do it one day at a time. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I started laughing. That's awesome. I started laughing. And I can tell you, honestly, Jay, I've been laughing ever since. 
That's great. Isn't that funny? I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I hadn't, when I left the tree, you know, I was only in 17 days and I had no intention of going back to play. I, I, I felt that, you know, I was like 245, 250, maybe 255 I weighed. And that was about 325. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, I mean, heck, I would get down to 295, 300 off steroids. So those other 50 pounds are a matter of doing nothing but drugs and drinking and being a sloth and, and, and living a drug, drug induced lifestyle. Um, so I was beat up emotionally, spiritually, physically, chemically, all these different ways. And when I went out of the treatment center, I had no intentions of going back to play. I did not like resent football, um, but it really opened my eyes to the wrongs, all the wrongs that I had done with football and not just with football, but with family, with a lot of things, but it was like not just football, but the employer, the fans, the media, all these people I was blaming, you know, now once my eyes cleared up, I was like, holy smokes, I was the common denominator. He is the problem. So, so I was like, I was like just happy to be sober because I thought that was impossible. And, and then I started working out again because I love, I just love working out. And I, you know, with six months being sober for six months, I was back up to 300 pounds. Naturally? Yeah. Wow. Never, never taken a steroid since. Wow. That's cool. And so I was like, I was having a hard time like wrapping my head around it because I was like, I was getting stronger. It wasn't nearly as strong as I used to be, but I was still young. I was only 28. And, but then I thought to myself, you know, I, I knew it was impossible to get sober and the miracle happened. So then I knew if that could happen, anything can happen. It's just a matter of, for me, it was a matter of put it on paper, execute it, and do the steps necessary that you got to do to get there, just like I did when I was 11. And, you know. And this was after four years out of the league? I was out of the league three full seasons. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. Yeah. I got, uh, my, my last season was 92, and my first season with Indy was 96. And so I, I, as, as I got the six months of sobriety and started getting bigger and stronger again, and then more importantly, the inner growth of realization of the wreckage you had created, I was like, you know, how do I make things right with that part of my life? And it's like some things you just can't, they're right. just impossible. They're just, you just can't make them right. They're, you did such a wrong, you can't make it right. But a lot of things you can make right. And so I thought, I'm going to keep working out another three, four months, see where I'm at about uh, 10 months of sobriety. If I keep getting stronger and, and bigger and everything and, um, you know, all, you know, no steroids, no nothing. Um, I may try, you know, to see if somebody will give me a workout. But I was like, fat chance, yeah. even because, you know, I'd burn my <laughs> burned them all. <laughs> Unlikely, right? Why? <laughs> And uh, so I ended up getting a, a workout with, uh, actually with Philadelphia. They had a scout flying through Cleveland with a six-hour layover. 
and they said that they would give me a workout at a local, I think it was a local Christian community college in like the suburbs of Cleveland. And it was because it was um, like February, end of January, February. So this scout for Philly, because the head coach at Philly at that time was Ray Rhodes. Now, Ray Rhodes was one of the coaches at Green Bay under Holmgren. Nice. And that was one of, that was like my last year there. So I knew him. So he knew of me. And then he was like, well, it's not costing us anything because we have a scout flying from the West Coast back home. He's got a six hour layover. We'll give him a workout at this gymnasium. It was literally a basketball court. Wow. So I did the workout. You know, there was no 40 yard dash. There was just no room, but I did all these offensive line drills. And then I did the weights, the weight stuff, the bench press test. And the scout was like, where have you been? Like, this is like, (laughs) he's like, like you just disappeared. And now like you just had a great workout. Wow. So, um, he, you know, within hours, so I drove back up to Traverse City where I was living. It was like eight, seven, eight hour drive. So there I was. Okay. So it was 1996, early 1996. It was merely a six, six years earlier, seven years earlier. I was calling my own shots at the draft. Right. I was having my own workouts at Michigan State where like everybody had to come. We're coming to you. Right. And there I was, and I was laughing at myself, driving eight hours in the middle of winter down at Cle- Cleveland of all places, <laughs> because that's where the layover was. And I was, I was grateful that, I had, that they even said that they would look at me. Awesome. Um, so word spreads pretty quick, right? So Ray Rhodes tells this guy, like, hours later, we want to fly him into Philly next week, and I want to see him. I want to work him out. So I'm like, holy smokes, like, this is cool. Like, cause I drove down on my own dime. Right. And I was fine. And I was fine with it. I was totally. And then I thought to myself, okay, now they're paying for a flight and they're, you know, well, Indy, obviously it's a small network. Indianapolis hears that I have a good workout. Indy gets on the phone and says, um, we'd like to work you out also. And I said, okay, well, Philly's working me out next week. When do you want to do it? And they're like, well, we want, want you to fly out tomorrow morning. <laughs> they wanted to get you before them or yeah and you know and and who knows like they were like they probably were like if i mean we're taking a chance if we see something we like let's get in front of philly and and do it no doubt. and i uh, went down there the next day and had a great workout and they offered me a contract on the spot that's awesome dude and i was 11 months sober it was congratulations on it that. was a yeah it was a direct result i mean a direct result of sobriety Definitely. And mindset, belief, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you took ownership of your faults. Like yeah. you got, it sounds to me like during that time frame, you really went inside, like con- contemplatively, you went inside and took ownership. The intent of going inside was, I need to look at this from a different perspective. Yeah. I'm no longer the victim here. <laughs> Right. What is it that I did here? What What is my ownership in this situation? I think that's so empowering. And yeah, yeah. What role did I play? I don't think anybody can move forward in any given situation, tragic or not, until they're going to literally get real and vulnerable with themselves, right? I, I totally agree. And I ask myself that question today. What role did I play in this tension over here or this 
adversity over here in my life or whatever it is. And, there, and there's days, there's a lot of days that go by great where there's no nothing wrong. But it's like, what role did I play? I always have to look at, and then what was my motive? Yep. Did I have an ulterior motive or did it, was I transparent? Yeah, was I trying to manipulate or was I inauthentic? Exactly. It's so good. And not manipulate other people, but manipulate yourself. Self-sabotage, right? Right. So good. Well, that, that, that's perfect. And, you know, it sounds like in that space, um, you were in the way that you were when they told you at sobriety, I got to do this the rest of my life. No, you got to just do it every day. One day at a time. <laughs> and you're taking that same concept of let me, let me analyze myself at the end of the day. Yeah. Take How yourself. was I today? Was I my best me today? Did I, it's in football, as you know, at the highest level, it's all about reps, right? Yeah. It's all about reps. Did you take, good and did good you take yeah, did you take your best reps today? Right. If I left, if I leave stuff on the plate, metaphorically, like if I leave gas in the tank after practice, right. Can't live with myself. Yeah. That wasn't the best reps. No. It wasn't the best representation of yourself and or repetitions. And then you start to question, am I stealing? Oh, wow. Right. Am I stealing? Am I giving this employer everything I got? I like that too. You know, because, and that's calling a spade a spade now. Right. And that's not sugarcoating. That's not being like, hey, your hand's in the till. No, it's being like, no, but you are stealing because you're not really giving your best effort. Right. You didn't give it all. You're not doing your job what you're being here paid to do. And I question my, now I'm self-employed now, right? So entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it. So who are you accountable to then? It's harder. In a way, it's harder. And, and a lot of times myself and the discussion I have between the eight inches between my two years is sometimes a bad neighborhood. Sure. And sometimes it's like, yeah, you gave it your best and in your soul knows you didn't. We all know. Yeah. If we, I just call that extreme vulnerability. And until a man gets vulnerable, man or woman, seems to me difficult more for men. Yes. And I shared this with my brother the other day. We're having a conversation about some stuff. He's really trying to be contemplative about some changes in his world. And I just said, Munch, until you get authentically vulnerable, No matter what that picture is going to look like, you have to be okay to look at that picture. You can't move forward. You can't make the changes, right? Habits are going to kick in and instantly you're back in habit and react reactive mode as opposed to response mode. It's, you know, the, the eyes becoming very leaky is almost necessary. Without a doubt. I did it the other day on a little, meditation i did a live facebook meditation meta just offering gratitude and love and kindness and peace and hope for those that are struggling right now and in it i got like all choked up and i have guys go oh there jay goes crying again you know but but i get i get moved by intention right i get moved by authenticity and i just think that that's so powerful i i agree and it's so I think just, you know, and it's nothing again, like there's nothing wrong with those people that say that, like, oh, there goes Jay. Some people are just more like, I'm more like you. I'm more, if I say I'm all in, I don't have like my toe still out the door. I'm all <laughs> in, like I'm all in. And if I'm all in, everything matters. Everything. 
everything matters. And it's literally, that's not a metaphor. It's like everything matters. If I'm all in, because if I'm not all in, I, then literally I'm all out. Right. Because you're not in, right? So yeah, you can't be, you can't be both. And uh, both is a, is a great recipe for self-sabotage. Yeah. You step in the river or you're not in the river. Exactly. Simple. Right. Exactly. Well, that takes me to our next question. And this is uh, one in our world right now, we've got this incredible challenge going on with the COVID-19 and the social distancing and the people with the chaos and the fear and what have you. Right. Um, if this, if this new Tony, the contemplative Tony, the one that really is okay with being authentic and vulnerable, if you were to be able to have a big billboard in the sky and you wanted to provide or offer hope or send a message to everybody, what would that billboard say right now? <laughs> it probably will surprise you. <laughs> I'm ready for a surprise. I think I would say, I think I would have that billboard say, it's not about you. Mm, Nice. You know, and have everybody kind of look into their selves and going to the point of, you know, we've heard on the news, some of these young people don't think that, you know, you can be asymptomatic. You can be young, you can be older, have be asymptomatic. You can still carry it, but a lot of these people went to spring break still. Absolutely. And then you start looking at the heat map of where it's spread the quickest so far. It's been on the East coast, like right down the whole coast. Right. So are they the only fault? No, it's just, that's didn't help it. So because it was all about, this is my last spring break. I'm a senior. Justifying whatever the reasons are. Right. And it's like, it ain't about you. You don't get it. And it's, it's a hard thing to understand, especially say at that age, because you couldn't have told me, I mean, I had all the answers, right? right. And then all my answers got me into treatment. Well, from your perspective, all your answers are, are shaded. They're, they're filtered anyways. Right. I, I call this in my book, I call this me dumb. We all live in the kingdom of me, right? Right, right, right. And everything is from that space. And when it is from that space, without thoughtfulness towards another's perspective, right it's a filter that is pretty scary. Right? Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. It's, you know. it, and you know, and, and yeah, we're human. We make mistakes, but you know, there's, there's a lot of great things going on. Like that people are doing like, right. like just phenomenal things. So not to, I mean, we have to acknowledge that what is sensationalized is all the bad stuff or the stuff that is not being done or the deaths or the Trump administration. It's like, I don't care who's in administration now, they would have their hands full. Oh, without a doubt. It doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. Okay. So I almost want to like grab my TV sometime. And I never watch the news, but I've watched more news in the last two weeks for education purposes right. than I have in probably the last five years. Because I just don't watch the news because all they talk about is bad stuff and that's all they care about. It's just to your point, sensationalizing negative right. bullshit. <laughs> it's like, I don't have time. It's like, yeah, some guy shot another guy at 3, 3 a.m. in the morning. And I'm like, well, what do you expect? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, downtown Phoenix? Or, at 3 a.m. in the morning. They're both, you know, drunk or doing a drug deal or something. It's like, well, the chances go higher. It doesn't mean that it happens. But yeah, your elevation of risk is higher at certain times 
you know, after midnight, not much right. goes on, right? Exactly. Not and much positive things. Not much, yeah. My old coach, uh, God rest his soul, who just passed away, George Perlis, taught me some of the best lessons in life. And one of the things he would say to us as a team was, nothing good happens after midnight. That's right. He's my like, coach, watch the news. My coach uh, was McLaughlin, Dwayne McLaughlin. He coached at Berrien Springs High School and before I went on to, to my little college. And Mac used to play under Perlis. Mac okay. was an offensive lineman at MSU. Okay. And so we used to hear similar, <laughs> the similar message. Nothing yep. good goes on after midnight. Yeah. Just, yeah. All that is is trouble waiting to happen. Yeah, so yeah the, the risk level just goes up so much higher. But I, I would say, yeah, it's not about the billboard. Would say it's not about you. I'm embarrassed for for parts of humanity with the hoarding of toilet paper. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like I'm like embarrassed. Like I'm embarrassed for like people. It's like you're really fighting over toilet paper instead of being like in a world of what can I do for my neighbor? That's the part, like that's what disappoints me. Like it, it, it's, it's a letdown for me. And it's not about Americans because they're hoarding in Australia. They're hoarding everywhere. And it's kind of like, it's like, it's not a shit disease. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm like, it's shitty that's going around. Right. But it's kind of like, I don't get it. I don't get it. It's like, it's like, I get it, but I don't get it. It's like, wait a second, people, you know, this is probably, you know, it's going to sound weird to say, but it's probably not a bad thing that happened. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of learning. Yeah. If if people are paying attention and they get out of their me dumb, there will be a lot of opportunity for growth and learning. Yes. And, and self you know, inventory, self-introspection, look at myself. How am I living? How did I act during a huge time of adversity? Sure. Uh, you have to ask yourself that question if you, if you care, like if you care about your own, like how you are. Yeah. And if you want to come out on the other side in a positive way. Right? Yeah. yeah. What, that's what growing through tragedy is all about is yeah. Yeah. you have to look inside first and you yeah. can't be a victim when you're doing it. I, you said something in one of the um, ESPN or one of the NFL film interviews I watched from you, and I loved it. Um, you were talking about with your clients now, what is the most, uh, that when you try to work with a client as a photographer, because now you do such incredible photography and, and creative in all kinds of ways with that, um, you said, I want to know what drives them. And you're talking about the model or the person that you're shooting. And because that helps you make fit for the outcome. And I do, in one of our programs, I discuss the the power of making fit for the other person's way, Mm -hmm. because that's when you really have harmony and synergy. What, so what drives you now? Like what compels you, just like you try to learn from them, what, what's driving them, what is their outcome objective? Where Tony sits today in his journey now, what's, what drives you? You know, that is, you know, part of that is what you mentioned earlier, hearing people's story. I want to learn from every person. And it doesn't have to necessarily, we got specific with people I photograph. 
and it is more so with them because I speak with them more. Sure. Um, I build rapport with them more. The more rapport I can build with them before the shoot, and, I, and I'll try to start weeks before by talking about certain composition ideas and things like that, because the more they get comfortable and the more they trust me, the more they'll be willing to be themselves and be vulnerable. To be authentic, yep. Yes. And yep. then when they're authentic and vulnerable, the best images come out. It's so good. And because a lot of times people think that they have to, especially a woman, thinks that she has to, she, she's watched, you know, something on like uh, one of the channels, like America's Top Model. And like she has to now act a certain, I'm like, no, I said, pretend like you never watched that show. I want you to be you. Perfect. If I see something that I will direct you with, it's to make that pose more flattering or more powerful or stoic or whatever we're trying to accomplish um, to bring that emotion off of the one millisecond of time. Um, but really for me, like carrying the message that, you know, anything is really possible. Really anything is possible. Um, so me carrying that message, now I carry that message very strongly in the sobriety community. That message can be carried with sobriety to the non-sobriety community also, but not shoved down people's throat either. But it's also embracing, carrying the message of embrace adversity. That's where your biggest lessons are going to come from. It's where we grow. Right. So it's like, instead of, yeah, you got to go through it, it sucks. No matter what it is, whether it's this virus or whether it's a relationship, doesn't matter what, a job, doesn't matter what it is, it's going to suck. But I have a choice. I can sit here and crumble, or I can learn from this. And sometimes the lessons come quicker, sometimes the lessons come later. And, but the lesson is always there, and it's each person's life experience and each person's ability to be able to look back if they choose to, to try to find that lesson, that's where they're gonna find their lesson. If they um, choose to look back. If they choose to look back. And unfortunately, many, you know, many don't. I think the more that you look inside yourself, the more you start to see, holy smokes, you talk about baggage. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man or it doesn't matter what color, race, religion, everybody's got stuff. And the thing is, is like, what am I doing about it? Am I trying to improve it? Am I trying to change it? And if you're not trying to change it, that's still okay, but you lose the right to bitch about it. Because there's people that complain that I know that complain about stuff every day. Sure. About certain stuff in their life. And they're not willing to, to change certain things so those things don't exist in their life. And I say to them, you lost the right to bitch anymore to me about that. You can go bitch to your other friends because I'm not going to listen to it. Right. Because I, I just don't have time. Like, uh, I, like, I like the phrase, and I've used it before a lot, is it's okay to look back, just don't stare. Nice. Right? So acknowledge it. It's like, yeah, I acknowledge. I played football pretty good. I acknowledge. I was an epic failure in Green Bay. I acknowledge. There was a comeback that was key. That catalyst was huge because it, it like, reaffirms or... It's the foundation that, for me personally, getting sober 
and doing a 12-step program because the 12 steps are, if you take the word alcohol out of the 12 steps and, and just read them, it's a great guideline. It's an instruction manual on how to live. Wow. Well, thank you for that, Tony, that your authentic vulnerability is shining through. And I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And yes, it seems that that, that was a turning point in your life. And I highly, highly would recommend that to anybody that has a, has a situation with addiction. And as you said, you're, you're a very visible force in that space. So I highly also recommend anybody to reach out to Tony on his website and on his contact info, which we're going to give you here shortly. Uh, and uh, just follow him and his lead because he's a, a very strong man and leader, as you can see. Hey, as we're getting ready to wrap up, I know our time is precious here and I appreciate you joining us today. Just wanted to ask you any special projects you're on that anybody needs to know about as we get ready to wrap up. There's a few, actually, there's a few projects that I'm involved in. Um, uh, both have to do with veterans, um, like military veterans. Nice. Um, uh, both from different sides of the country. One's here on the West Coast, one's on the East Coast. I've kind of fallen into, nat well, naturally fallen into that. I've never been in the military, but I've always had a soft spot for military because they're all in. Yeah. They're defending democracy. They're defending freedom. Sure. They're defending things that we take for granted. They're defending stuff that people don't even know. Right. What the military does. Like they like they don't see the value no. in their everyday existence. Yeah. Right. They wouldn't have an everyday existence right. if it wasn't for these. Exactly. People. And and that's where, you know, that's funny because I'm very liberal, but that's where I get very unliberal. <laughs> nice. You know, I get very conservative with certain things, and I'm so I, I I don't consider myself one of the as like leaning towards one of the parties. I'm like I want to who's going to propel and lead as a leader this right. country and these people and us. That's what we want. But you know what? Our leader reflects us. Yeah, many times without a doubt. So there's two military things I'm involved with. Um, both nonprofits, both for the betterment of retired uh, or non-active um, military, male and female. And then um, self-assignment-wise, I'm always doing self-assignments and projects for photography for myself, just to experiment on stuff. So th there are some things I'm doing now that I don't have my studio anymore, my physical building. I, I didn't renew my lease last year. I want to challenge, there's some projects I've had on the, on the table as far as shooting some pictures and editing them and just showing how like cool they can be. And then, and then after, so show them the end game and then after show them how it was done and how small the space was. In the process of what? Right. In the, in the process of, they probably have an assumption of that this was done in this big studio yet it will be done in a 12 foot by 15 foot closet. That's interesting. Wow. That's cool. You know, but I want them to see the end game first and then go back and, and then go back and say created. Yeah. So nobody has an excuse to say, Oh yeah, well, it's like the, the high end camera it's the big lighting. It's the studio. It's, it's, it's what's between here. It's great. The creativity. It's just like music, right? It's yeah. like, 
you know, and if you want to get better at something, have more tools in the toolbox so you can learn and, and learn from different people. Um, there's so, I mean, I constantly learn from people every single day. Um, even if it's going down that grocery store aisle, learning and confirming to myself, this is not how I want to act during this. Yeah. And I'm not going to, if I see, you know, two women fighting over toilet paper, I'm going to intervene. <laughs> right. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say, or hey, quit hoarding toilet paper. I'm just. It's. It's not my business, right? It's like if you need. If you feel you need to hoard, I don't know if they have twelve kids. They might have twelve kids. I don't know. Yeah. So their parents might be living with them too. I don't know. So I don't know the circumstance. All I know is that I know how to survive, and I will survive. I'm gonna be okay, and unless. If I'm not okay, then I don't have the ability to help my neighbor. So I have to take care of me so I have the ability to help people. Sure. You know, so a lot of people will look at that as selfish, but that's why, you know, when the decompression happens in the airplane, they say, put the mask on yourself first. Put the mask on first. Yeah. So you don't pass out when you're putting it on your kid. I think we all have to look inside first right yeah. how else can we be a contribution of positive outcomes towards anybody else if we don't start inside first yeah. whether that's relationships intimate relationships whether that's contribution and physical activities whatever the case might be yeah. yeah no it's true it's true and 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 you know i fall short in so many areas you know um like i'm into health and fitness a lot but when I'm eating chips, I'm like, okay, is this, again, okay, does this propel me towards my goal of health and fitness? Or is this a deterrent? Take me away, right? Right. So I'm like, well, they, you know, I might be like, well, it tastes so good. It's a deterrent, but I'm good with it. And I can live with it. And, and I, I don't get, I don't get pulled over for eating chips. <laughs> right, right. Well, in that scenario too, you're still, you're cognitively making choices as opposed to unconsciously reacting yes. towards whatever the case might be. It's a knee-jerk reaction, yeah. That, yeah. Pacify, 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 pacify constantly. It's like, no, feel it, feel the pain. Yeah, be in it. Yeah, be in it because it's gonna suck. And you know what, now you have perspective. Like Gruden said this year, I love it. You gotta learn to love the misery. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. When you're growing, it can be miserable. Yeah. But that's yeah. only for a short period of time. Uh, where can people find your imagery or where can people find you online and follow along? The easiest place would probably be my website. And, and my website is my name. So it's just TonyManders.com because on my website are all the links to my social media. Okay. Um, if you're looking specifically for social media, the, the one that I really pretty much only go to, even though everything syndicates from it, is Instagram. And and that's just my name again. My handle is Tony Mandridge, all lowercase, all one word, no spaces, no underscores, no nothing. Um, and then, but if I post on Instagram, it'll syndicate to my Facebook pages and my LinkedIn and all that other stuff. All right, cool man. Well, I appreciate your time so much. You've been a real learning experience for me and I, got, I garnered some really unique uh, concepts especially what it would have taken at 11 to be able to just lay that path out and to be determined enough to say 
now this is what I'm going to do. That shows internal strength like most people just don't have. A decision was made and and, and I don't know where that came. I, mean, I think, you know, I think it came from my parents. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, buddy. I appreciate it, Jake. Thank you for having me. All right, brother. All right, man. Bye-bye. Yeah.